BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to the Smirconish Podcast for independent minds. In the first hour of yesterday's program, I asked the following question. Why are so many Republican candidates now challenging Donald Trump for the GOP nomination? I mean, just think about it from this perspective. He's a former president of the United States. He's like almost an incumbent in the sake of a primary caucus schedule. He really is. And he's pulling 50 percent of the vote in the polls. And we also learned that the more candidates that get in, the more to his advantage it is. I'll never forget being at the Reagan Library for the first debate of 2016, where there were so many that they had like a JV squad and a varsity squad. They had to break up the debate stage because they couldn't accommodate them. And yet at the rate we're now headed, it looks like there might be about 10 Republican candidates when everybody is in. Several are already in. Ron DeSantis, of course, got in this week. What is it they are seeing? And yesterday I made the argument here that it's not so much that they think, well, they probably do because ego's got a lot to do with this, but it's not so much that they think that that there's an argument that they can beat him, that any one of them can beat him, but rather that there are other factors at play. And those other factors at play are the, the legal factors that surround him. And I was motivated to say this yesterday because the judge... In the Alvin Bragg case, the Stormy Daniels case set a trial date of March 25 and said that Trump's got to be there. You know, unlike Gene Carroll, which was a civil case, this is a criminal case. Trump's going to have to be there while he's on trial. You're saying, yeah, all right, but come on. Trump got a boost in the polls after he was indicted for that. Is that going to impact him? I think that it will. I mean, the visual of him being in that courtroom, there are no cameras, but the to and fro, the sketches, the idea that right in the midst of the voting, like two weeks after Super Tuesday, where's Donald Trump? He's in a courtroom and he's on trial. And then there's Fonnie Willis and Fonnie Willis, I think, tipped her hand that she is going to indict Trump. Why else do you need to tell the sheriff, get ready for the summer? I mean, if you're indicting somebody who's not a household word, are people really going to revolt in the street? And then yesterday, without the benefit of of this brand new Washington Post story, I said that Jack Smith looks like he's wrapping up and perhaps gearing up for an indictment of Trump on obstruction charges. And today's Washington Post, which I talked about in the first hour of the program, the headline, Trump workers moved Mar-a-Lago boxes a day before FBI came for documents. The, The short timeline is that in May of 2022, a grand jury issued a subpoena to Trump for a return of classified information meeting gets set with a lawyer named Jay Bratt from the Justice Department. He's coming to Mar-a-Lago on June the 3rd. And now, according to this reporting on June the 2nd, the day before captured on video, Trump representatives are moving documents around, moving boxes around. So 
Brat shows up. They hand him an envelope inside her 38 classified documents. Two months later, search warrant executed. Guess what? A hundred more classified documents were located. That's what distinguishes that case from Mike Pence or from uh, uh, Joe Biden. You know, the Corvette, the garage and so forth. Anyway, so I laid all this out and I said, I think that's why so many are getting in. So many are getting in because they think that Jack Smith, Merrick Garland, Fonnie Willis, Alvin Bragg are going to do all their work for them. This is the Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS. Sirius XM Channel 124 and on the SXM app. And lucky for all of us, listening yesterday was Ellie Honig. Ellie, the former prosecutor from the Southern District of New York, the author of Untouchable, How Powerful People Get Away With It. You see him all the time providing his legal analysis on CNN. He reached out for me and he said, I heard what you say and I have thoughts. Well, here he (laughs) is. Ellie, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. I have so many thoughts, Michael. Yeah, I'm, I'm listening to you sort of talking back to you in my car about agreeing on some things, disagreeing on others. It's such a fascinating moment we're at, we're about to be at, if you think about it. I mean, it's it's already surreal enough that we have a former president who's been charged with a crime. Now it looks like he's going to be charged maybe two or three times total, and these cases are going to be playing out while we're coming up on the 2024 election. And, you know, the funny thing is when I started in this business, Michael, as a legal guy back in 2018, someone who'd been doing this for a while said to me, general election years are going to be sort of downtimes for you. Well, it turned out leading up to 2020, we had 60 lawsuits trying to over, you know, trying to to, uh, challenge the results. And now we're going to be in trial mode leading up to next year. So here we go. 
So I want to break down each of the three buckets. But first, big picture. Uh, And it's a political question more than anything else. Do you think this is why none of them seem uh, intimidated by Trump and they're all getting in? It has to be a contributing factor because, like you said, otherwise it looks so daunting to me. My view on this is, look, you you are we are going to have a guy who's going to be likely on trial for a crime in the middle of this election, probably indicted a couple more times. It would be rational in the normal world, query whether we're in the normal world, for a politician to look at that and say, could the collective weight of these things topple him? And if so, I want to be the one standing there ready to take over. Now, whether it actually will, I think we'll get into next. So the Manhattan case, the the, the yeah. Stormy Daniels, the Alvin Bragg case, first of all, because this is your side of the aisle, not mine. If if in <laughs> if in a civil context, a judge says, I'm setting trial for March 25, that probably means that, you know, April, May, June, we're going to get it on. What does it mean yeah. in this case? Ordinarily, the same thing in a criminal case, Michael, you get your trial dates and you sort of write it in your book in pencil, though. They trial dates move all the time in criminal cases. But this judge, Judge Marchand, went out of his way the other day when he set that date to say, basically, no fooling around here, folks. Don't bring me your motion to adjourn two weeks before. Clear your calendars. We are doing this. Now, that said, a couple things. Things come up. Right. The defense might might need more time, might make a serious motion why they need more time. The prosecution might come across some new evidence that they need to turn over. And also, I want to highlight this X factor. Donald Trump has made a motion to remove is the legal term to transfer his case from the state court across the street to the federal courthouse where I used to practice in the Southern District of New York. There is an obscure but potentially applicable federal law here that says if there are state level criminal charges like we have here against someone that relate to his federal job duties under color of law, then you can bump it over to federal court. Now, we don't need to get too deep into that. I don't think it's highly likely Trump succeeds on that motion here, but he could. And alternatively, he might go to the federal courts and say, you need to intervene here. It's not fair. It infringes my First Amendment rights. I'm running for a federal office for president. I have a right to fully run for office without having to be sidetracked at a crucial time right after Super Tuesday to A, prep for this case, and B, like you said, Michael, he has to be physically present, unlike the E. Jean Carroll case, which is a civil suit. So it's possible to me that Trump's lawyers go to a court, a federal court, or and or the state court and say, that timing is unfair. It's too much of an infringement on the political process and on my First Amendment rights. Why would he want to be in federal court? So a couple of reasons. First of all, this judge, I think, has done a very good job so far. But the reality is this judge donated money, a tiny amount, a laughable amount, $35, but to anti-Trump political causes. I wrote an article, Michael, arguing that he needs to recuse himself. I think it's a no brainer. I don't care how few dollars if you've donated to a cause dedicated to defeating Donald Trump's extreme agenda, which is what he did. You have to be out now. So I think Trump's uh, team is not liking that lawyer. Also, here's an important thing. If you get tried in New York County Court, that's Manhattan, your entire jury will be pulled from the borough of Manhattan. 87% of voters voted against Donald Trump in Manhattan in 2020. If you can bump across the street to the SDNY, that encompasses New York County, which is Manhattan, plus the Bronx, Westchester, Rockland, Putnam, Sullivan. And if you look at those counts, he did a little better in the Bronx. I think he, I think he got uh, 80 against him, but not 87. But in some of those northern counties, it was 50-50. And so if you can expand your jury pool and start bringing in jurors from Putnam or Rockland, that is going to be a game changer for Trump. How long a trial do you believe this would be? 
Yeah, it, it looks to me like a two to four week trial. I heard someone ask the other day, could this trial go up until election day? I said, God, I hope I would hope not for all parties involved. Feels to me like a two to four week trial, which will take us through the end of April, really. So, Ellie, most importantly, I think, you know, that that even the so-called mainstream media, Washington Post, New yep. York Times, were commenting on the very unique way in which Alvin Bragg sought to elevate this to a felony. When does Donald Trump get to litigate that issue before or after trial? So I think both. I think he will make a motion beforehand saying so the way he's elevating this falsification of business records, which is a misdemeanor to a felony is by saying to commit some other crime. But he's still been a little dodgy on what that other crime is. Is it a federal campaign finance law? Right. And if it's federal campaign finance law, how can you litigate that in state court? It's not state campaign finance law. This is a race for president, which is a federal office. The other theory is some convoluted tax theory. So I think Trump's lawyers will move to A, clarify or B, dismiss that before the trial. I think they'll argue if they don't win there, they'll argue to the jury there is no other crime. And if they lose that, it'll be an appeal issue. God, I love this stuff. Is there anything else before (laughs) I move on to Fulton County that you want to say about the Manhattan Alvin Bragg case? One other quick thing. Even if Trump is convicted in Manhattan, he is unlikely to be sentenced to prison. It will be at the at the worst for Donald Trump, what we call a class E felony. Even if he is sentenced to prison, he's not going to prison upon sentencing. Someone said this the other day on our air. I think it was wrong. He will be given what's called bail pending appeal, meaning he will not have to go into prison until after all of his appeals are resolved. That will absolutely take us out beyond the election. You heard what I switching now to Fulton County and Fonnie Willis. You heard what I said, which is in in her investigation. She wrote this letter. I think it was April 24 to the local sheriff, also of Fulton County, putting him on notice. Hey, you know, it's going to be between I forget the dates, but like June and September when I'm going to announce my charging decisions. First reaction I had is if the charging decisions are that nobody's getting charged, there's no need to tell the sheriff. And secondly, (laughs) maybe you're going to enlighten me, but I I can't think of anybody else who might get indicted that would warrant notification of the sheriff. Uh, How do you read those tea leaves? I completely agree. You said earlier, Fonnie Willis has tipped her hand. I'm going to take issue with that. She has taken her five cards, turned them around, put them in our face. (laughs) I mean, it could not be any more obvious that she's going to indict. And I would add to that the special grand juror who did her media tour and was trying to be coy about, I won't, I'm not going to give it, there won't be any spoilers, that ridiculousness. Uh, I think it is a virtual certainty that Fonnie Willis will indict Donald Trump. I think the charges she will bring, election interference, possibly conspiracy or racketeering, will be way more serious than what we saw out of Manhattan. I think people will care much more than falsifying records about sex. And this is really a question for a political analyst, but will that difference between eh, falsified records about sex seven years ago versus try to steal the election, will that change the political calculus? I don't know that. Um, I will say this. I think it's unlikely that they get to a trial in Fulton County before November of 2024, because even if Fonnie Willis indicts in August, as she has all but telegraphed us, you have to build in about a year for to, to trial. And you're just not going to try this thing in August if you're a judge. I don't think if, if I'm the prosecutor, Michael, I don't want to char- try this thing in August when you're going to have a convention. He'll be the nominee by then, Trump will. And I actually think it's harder for prosecutors to have to stand in front of a jury in, let's say, summer a year from now, summer of 2024, 
and convince them not only to convict a former president for the first time in American history, but also to convict a guy that's his party's nominee or effective nominee. I think you could have a rational juror who, let's even say, doesn't like Trump, who just thinks, I don't love this guy. I think he probably but did this. this. Is wrong. But, but this is not it, right. Yes. It doesn't feel right to pull a guy off the ballot three months, but you know, to, to convict it wouldn't technically pull him off the ballot, but to convict a guy and potentially send him to prison when he's three months away from an election. So I would okay. I don't like that as a prosecutor. Fonnie Willis, like Alvin Bragg, state prosecutors, if if we were and we're about to talk about the feds, but if we were talking about yep. the feds bringing charges that resulted in a trial post-convention or at about the same time, wouldn't that run afoul of that memo that we always talk about? We say it's, well, it's, it's, it's not, uh, yeah. it's not statutory, but everybody honors it within the, ju- what am I, what am I blathering about? Yeah. So there is a longstanding policy in DOJ. It goes through parties of bo- uh, both parties, administrations of both parties. We would get, we got the memo when I worked there under the Bush administration. We got the memo when I worked there under the Obama administration. And it basically says our, purpose here at DOJ is not to interfere with elections. And to that end, we try to refrain from doing things that will land heavily in the public eye within. And it's funny, there's a little bit of a split, whether it's 60 or 90 days of an election. And to to bring a case that and try a case of one of the candidates anywhere near the election to me would violate the, the spirit, if not the letter of that rule would be it absolutely against everything DOJ stands for. Well, Ellie, you anticipated my next question. I don't have that memo, the latest incarnation in front of me, but I don't remember it being spelled out by the number of days. Is it? You're right. No, you're right. I've actually gone back and looked at that memo several times, but it's it's one of these urban legends, I guess. It's what, you know, if you walk around the the SDNY where I used to work, we just called it the 60-day rule. And other offices- Uh, Oh, really? yeah, my wife worked in, in Jersey and they called it the 90 day rule. So I, I don't wow. you know, it's a very it's a cultural localized thing. But you're right. It's not specified number of days. But the spirit is, hey, we try not to do what Jim Comey did. Right. I mean, it didn't say it that way in, in 2016, when days before an election, he made this bombshell political announcement. Holy smokes. OK, let's go to the third yep. bucket. Now let's talk about Merrick Garland, Jack Smith. You heard what I said in the setup in terms of The Washington Post report just today. By the way, let me just step out and summarize. It sounds like they got the videotapes from Mar-a-Lago. They then interviewed everybody all the way down to all the housekeepers, and they're able to establish the whole timeline, the movement of the documents. It's like, oh, right there on the eve of the feds coming to town, they hid the stuff. Yeah, it's it's what we call circumstantial evidence, Michael. You know, look, they're trying to put together an obstruction case. And it's actually interesting. The obstruction case seems to have sort of surged past the actual documents case in terms of what prosecutors are looking at. Um, Unless you have somebody who's able to testify, we had discussions about let's hide these documents to keep them away from the feds. If you have that, that's great. That's direct evidence. But the timing of the movement is what we call circumstantial evidence. You know, judges where I used to practice would give this instruction to a jury. They would say, look, you can look outside and see that it's raining. You can see raindrops falling. That's direct evidence. Or let's say the windows were closed in this courtroom, but you saw somebody walk in the back door wearing boots and an umbrella and dripping water. You are allowed to infer from that, that it's raining out. And so this, I think the timing of the movement would fall under that circumstantial evidence. And you can make people say circumstantial evidence like it's a bad thing or a weak. No, it's not. You can circumstantial evidence alone can be sufficient to convict a defendant if it's strong enough. The Trump lawyers 
apparently have requested a meeting with Merrick Garland or or, or yeah. uh, his representatives. There's no reason to request a meeting if you think your guy is about to get a hall pass. True, but sometimes the defense lawyers don't know. Sometimes a defense lawyer will know my guy's being investigated right. and it's going to be close. Hunter Biden falls in the same category here. And so we want this meeting. I do want to make sure listeners understand this. There is nothing wrong or unusual whatsoever. It is the most common thing for defense lawyers to ask for and get that meeting. We call them reverse proffers because it's where the defense lawyer comes in and says, you know, usually the prosecutor is the one turning over information. But the defense lawyer says, hey, prosecutors, don't indict my client. Here's the weaknesses in this case. Here's why it will blow up in your face. Here's why it's a mistake. Usually doesn't work. But I will tell you as a prosecutor. I always granted those meetings. I want to hear if the other side how, wants to come how, in. And- how, for, how forthcoming would you be? I mean, uh, you know, what, what goes on in a meeting like that? As a prosecutor, I am I am zero forthcoming. I go, go ahead, floor's yours. You tell me what you want to tell me. And defense lawyers have to sort of draw that line. On the one hand, they want to put their strongest foot forward and explain to you and convince you, prosecutor, your case is no good. On the other hand, they don't want to send you the playbook, you know, across the field. They don't want to give away too much. And I found that, you know, I if I had to put a number on it, uh, 10 to 20 percent of the time did those meetings either persuade me not to charge or persuade me to give a lighter sentence. But I do want to say this. The way Trump's team has gone about this is sort of ridiculous. First of all, they're not getting a meeting with Merrick Garland. Jack Smith right. is the one running this case. Right. You don't just barge in and meet with the AG. Um, and second of all, the letter that they wrote, which really sounded like a truth social post, you know, pasted in between legal letterhead. Um, <laughs> it, I, w- I would say to them, if you think you're going to come in here and just rail about how unfair this is and why aren't you investigating the Bidens, we're not going to do that. But if you, Trump's legal team, want to come in here and make a reasoned presentation to me, by the way, these can be like PowerPoint presentations. They give out, you know, people go all out for these. If you want to come in here and talk to me about your view of my case and why I shouldn't charge, then let's meet next Tuesday. Let's do this. So Jack Smith is charged with this investigation and then advisory yeah. advising Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland is not obligated to act on his recommendation. True. Exactly. So there's an interesting dynamic here because Jack Smith gets the first call. Should we or should we not indict? Then it goes to Merrick Garland. Now, the the regs here, the regulations say that the AG has to give, and I quote, great weight to whatever the special counsel recommends. And Michael, also, if it plays out that the AG overrules the special counsel, either way, that has to get reported to Congress. So we're going to know about that publicly at some point. Now, let me let me say this. I have a little bit of insight into the Jack Smith investigation beyond what we, we've been reading in the papers. Which Make is some this. news. Go ahead. Well, two of the, the prosecutors who've gone over to work for that team, David Rohde and David Raskin, uh, both used to work at the Southern District when I was there. They were senior to me. They were maybe five, six years senior to me, which is like a generation at the SDNY. But um, two of the hardest driving, most aggressive prosecutors I knew. I've talked about this with my colleagues and and the consensus among the colleagues is there's no way in hell David Rohde and David Raskin left their prior gigs to come over here and not indict Donald Trump. Now, it's not their call. They're going to have to convince Jack Smith and Jack Smith will have to convince Merrick Garland. But if I had to, I feel fairly confident Jack Smith is going to recommend indictment on Mar-a-Lago. We've all forgotten about January 6th, by the way. He's still investigating right. January 6th. Right. Um, I do think there's a question as to whether Garland goes along with it on January 6th, just because Garland is so reticent and he's so slow moving. And, you know, I just don't think he's going to be as aggressive. And one more thing I want to throw in. 
there is a DOJ policy that's called the Pettit policy. It's like named after a case like Andy, Pe- not Andy Pettit, but a guy named Pettit, <laughs> um, <laughs> not Pettit, like small French. But basically it says, if you're thinking about charging a case, you should consider whether some other entity, state prosecutors or Congress or somebody else is already adequately sort of addressing the core of that. Oh. And if they are, oh. it doesn't it doesn't mean you cannot charge, but it right. means it's a strike against charging. And it's possible to me if Fonnie Willis indicts first, Merrick Garland looks at that and says, well, he's been indicted by state prosecutors for something to do with trying to steal the 2020 election. Therefore, I'm going to weigh that against charging under this Pettit policy. Wow, that's really significant. I didn't I didn't fully appreciate that that was the case, that there is that level of of review. Let me ask this question. Am I right in believing that Jack Smith really doesn't have prosecutorial discretion? He's been brought in like a like a contract killer to determine here. Is the law been broken and can we prove it? Yes or no, very binary. But it's Garland who has to say, is this in the nation's best interest? I think they both have to exercise prosecutorial discretion, but in different ways. And I think you're right. I think any prosecutor ever, it, no prosecutor is robotic. It's not like enter formula, spit out the answer, yes, no, charge, don't charge. And so I think it's appropriate. And I think Jack Smith will look at factors like, uh, well, how strong our evidence is our evidence is maybe not a discretionary factor, but are these charges serious enough? Um, how might they play in front of a jury? That kind of thing. But I totally agree that Merrick Garland's job as attorney general is to look at the broader spectrum, right. the political spectrum, the timing spectrum, the what have other offices done? Is there a state charge spectrum? So I do think they have to look at this through different lenses. Yes. Ellie, let me go back to the Pettit policy. Yeah. What what of the propriety, given what you've told us of someone from Garland Smith's operation having conversations with Fonnie Willis or Alvin Bragg? This is a fascinating issue that I've also written about. Ordinarily, Michael, if this was if this subject name was not Donald Trump, you would be on the phone immediately. If you find out as a prosecutor that some other prosecutor state that I was on both sides, I was state, I was federal or local regulators or whoever are poking around, you get on the phone right away. If there's a word for this deconfliction, you go, hey, guys, uh, I hear you're poking around this guy. So are we. Can we work this out? Are we going to work together? Are we going to compete? Are you going to go first? Are we going to go first? Are we going to share information? Are we going to try this thing together? And you work it. Sometimes you work it out. Sometimes you get into these blood feuds. We used to, when I was at the Southern District, we used to fight with the Eastern District, the Brooklyn prosecutors, like cats and dogs, man. We'd have to go to DOJ. We had many trials in front of DOJ where DOJ would hear both sides. Yeah, to say, okay, Southern District, you get this one, Eastern. So normally you would 100% do that. Here, we've not heard any reporting that Alvin Bragg, Fonnie Willis, Jack Smith, any of them have had any contact. And I would guess, you know, educated guess, the reason is they don't want to be accused of this is a bunch of prosecutors coordinating, conspiring, working together against me. I think they're intentionally not dialing each other's phone numbers. Okay, final question, because we've blown up the clock and it's worth (laughs) it. This is excellent, but they're waving at me timing relative to jack smith so if jack smith does something soon where are we in terms of getting to trial on obstruction 
Yeah, you, you can't get to trial on a complicated case or a semi-complicated like, case like this in the federal system, even under the fastest scenario in less than, let's say, eight to 10 months. And now you're right on top of that Manhattan t- case, right? Uh, March, April, you're not going to try it. There's no way the feds try this case in, in August, September of 2024. So I think both in the, in the case of DOJ and potentially Fonnie Willis, if there are indictments, I think realistically you're looking at a trial date after the 2024 election. Hey, listen, Donald Trump could win the thing. He could pardon well, but himself. It could be, it could be to yeah. Trump's it could be to Trump's advantage because yes. the trial that does play out, I'm going to minimize it and say is the sex case and the right. more serious ones aren't heard until after the American. And if he's the beneficiary again in the way that he was when Bragg brought the prosecution, it could all be to his advantage. Yeah. And let me throw one more wrinkle in there, Michael. He's not going to definitely get convicted in Manhattan. I mean, the jury's going to be bad for him. You know, 87 percent of Manhattan doesn't doesn't like the guy. But if he should win and by win, I mean, even hang one juror, get one juror. You have to be unanimous. If one juror says I'm not kosher with this or doesn't feel right to me and he hangs that jury, watch and again, I'm not a political analyst, but but all you have to be is a sentient human being to say, watch the victory lap. Watch the oh, yeah. bounce oh, my he gets God. out of that. Yeah. And, yeah. and he'll then portray all of these prosecutions as being yes, bogus. Exactly. It was excellent. I'm really appreciative. Thank you so much, Ali. Thanks, Michael. Great to join you. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. XM. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124, and on the SXM app. I'm really proud of what we just accomplished here. Ellie Honig was excellent. And he walked us through some of the legal minutia of the Manhattan DA prosecution of Donald Trump, the anticipated prosecution by Fonnie Willis in Fulton County, Georgia, and what's going on with Jack Smith and Merrick Garland. I thought that was so insightful and laid it all out. And one of the possible conclusions is that 
that which gets to trial before the election is only Manhattan, only Alvin Bragg, only the Stormy Daniels case. And if Trump beats that, I think it emboldens him. And the others, because of bumping up against the election, would not be heard until after a determination of who wins in 2024. I neglected to invite you to call. You know the usual number. It's 855-486-1776. Tom, you're in Rochester, New York. Your reaction is what? Hi, thanks for taking the call. I think uh, some of uh, Ali's reaction is he's acting like a little chicken. And the reason for that is is that Trump's crimes are completely political. Um, Fonnie Willis and Merrick Garland, they should not consider any of the political implications of making their charging decisions, the timing that when it's going to happen. Um, they need to do what's right, follow the law. And I think that you're going to see something exactly like what happened with Dobbs when you saw with Dobbs, the number of pro-life people went up. I think when you put a jury in front of the information and they look at it, irregardless of their political determination or, or what they are, they will overwhelmingly look at the facts. It's not going to matter once they're in that courtroom. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Okay, I have to defend my, my friend, a, a, because on the merits, I think you're wrong. There's nothing that he said for which he deserves to be called a chicken. He was analyzing the different issues in each of these three buckets. And I thought that he did an excellent job in doing it. No. So, I mean, analyzing the issues, but I mean, there's clearly a slant of being very protective of potentially not bringing this forward. Well, not Ellie. Maybe the prosecutors are. Maybe he's not the prosecutor in this case, but the prosecutors who are, you think, are too, what, uh, too timid, too intimidated by Donald Trump? Sure. And, and, Yes, I do. And I think that everyone's so worried about these political implications. And this should completely just fall back on the GOP. The GOP can take care of them, right? If they, you know, I've, I've listened to you for a while, and there is clearly constitutional ways to make Donald Trump ineligible to run. It would take care of a lot of problems for everybody, right? The, 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 and, the, Republic, the Republicans, I think, instead, notwithstanding your thoughts, by the way, I got to run because I'm, I'm, I'm not doing well with my clock management today. Uh, they're waiting on Jack Smith, Fonnie Willis, and Alvin Bragg to do their dirty work. That's why they're all getting in. Ron DeSantis is 44. He's got 30 more years to run for president, according to Joe Biden and Donald Trump timelines. Why get in with Trump now? Why, why run the risk of sullying yourself with Trump? It's because he doesn't think Trump's going to be left standing when all this runs its course. The Smirconish Podcast for Independent Minds. Listen to Michael Smirconish live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. 
I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.